Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Another great week, another great guest I have on Stephanie Bingham. Now, Stephanie, definitely a different um, type of podcast than we've done before. Stephanie, she is a paranormal historian, um, and she also sees paranormal spirits. Now, I'll tell you, just like you know, any any conversation that I have that you know some people may agree with and some people don't. My goal in this is to talk to interesting people, have an interesting conversation. Um, always keep an open mind. I certainly always keep an open mind um, in in the interview. Uh, you know whether you know I agree with with what they're saying. You know with any guest or or not. My goal is just to let them tell their story. Um, absolutely entertaining story of nothing else. Um, I think that there's some some real semblance of of truth to it i think there has to be um in order for her to be as as passionate as she is um but but please do listen uh, and keep an open mind that's all i can ask um i hope that uh, i hope that you listen and you think wow this is this is uh this is quite the story um i hope you're entertained and and you know if if paranormal is something that you believe i i definitely think uh stephanie is a, a great person um to hear from now, with that said, of course, those who really, really, really hate paranormal and, you know, spirits and things like that, I would maybe caution you not to listen to this one. Um, you know, uh, there's so many people out there who really like the paranormal and like scary movies and like spirits and ghosts and watching, you know, the Ghost Hunter TV shows and all that kind of stuff that, you know, I couldn't pass up bringing on Stephanie because she's, she's just great, you know, between her immense knowledge about paranormal, um, all things paranormal and spirits and all that kind of stuff, um, between her consulting on, you know, TV shows, um, you know, history shows and paranormal shows, um, it, it was just a great conversation. We, we talked a lot about some of her experiences in paranormal and that's where you know could potentially get scary for some people we do um, talk about some some light-hearted moments and in, in things that she's seen but also some scary moments um, so please uh, I guess do take caution there um, we also talk about whether you know all these scary movies and ghost adventures and ghost hunter shows that we see whether they're even real or whether they're kind of you know fake for ratings um, I think uh, you'll be really interested to hear what she has to say about that. Um, uh, I learned a lot. I, I think it was a, a great conversation. I think you'll like it too. Um, so enough of the, the rambling on here. Here is my interview with Stephanie Bingham. I am here today with Stephanie Bingham. Stephanie, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me. So if you would, obviously, kind of the the, the overarching thing is that you – um, our historian and, and kind of dabble in the paranormal. But other than that, tell us a little about yourself and your background uh, before we kind of dive in. So my name is Stephanie. I was born and raised in uh, Western Kentucky. I grew up here. I went away to college first at Eastern Kentucky University, then at Kent State University. I actually got my undergraduate degrees in history and anthropology and my master's degree in history. 
Uh, in undergrad, I studied specifically uh, New Orleans voodoo at the turn of the century. And in grad school, I studied the spiritualist movement. So in a nutshell, I sort of academically studied early American ghost hunting. And then I sort of have this weird side hobby where I found out very early on in my life that I saw things that other people don't see, specifically ghosts. And I took me down a weird path, I suppose you could say. Yeah, I would assume that it would. So how did, how did that come about? How did you learn that you were first seeing, you know, things that, that others weren't seeing? What were, did you, I guess, see something you thought everyone else saw? Or did you know that it was a little bit strange from the beginning? Uh, so at the beginning, I had no idea, like at all. Um, the first one that I know I saw, I was about a year and a half old. There had been a relative in the family who had died. And I think I was aware that somebody had died, but I didn't really know what that meant. So I remember this man coming through the window and he would sit and talk to me at night. And that's what it was. He'd come in through the window and he'd talk to me. And when you're that little, you don't really logic out why that should not happen. Mm -hmm. So I told my mom about it and she sort of patted me on my head and said, okay, and just sent me on about my business. And then it kept happening over and over again until finally, um, because I was giving messages, things that he was saying for me to tell people. And uh, eventually she pulled out a group family photo and was like, is the person you're seeing in this picture? And I picked out a gentleman who I'd never met before, but that was the man. And it was the relative who had recently died. Mm. So my parents knew very early on, they chose specifically not to tell me what was happening. So I did not personally realize that I was seeing things that other people didn't until very late elementary school. I was very slow on the uptake there. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I guess what, uh, you know, I, I, in the intro, I kind of wasn't exactly sure what to, to call you. So what, what do you, what do you, I mean, what do you, you call yourself with that? I, I don't know what the, and I don't really know the difference between, you know, I don't know, mediums, clairvoyants, uh, ghost hunters. I don't really know. So what, what all is? Absolutely. So a medium by a very technical, very old historic definition is a person, generally a woman, who allows their body to become a medium for a spirit to use. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's in the form of like a walk-in possession where something else literally takes over their body and either speaks through them or sometimes will do writing, like automatic writing for them. Uh, you also have psychics. Psychics aren't necessarily the same thing as medium. They oftentimes share some overlap there, but they're not the same altogether. A psychic can see, can sense, a clairvoyant, a clairaudience, people that hear things, people that know things, so clairsentient. They are psychics. They can perceive things around them that aren't quite the way everybody else perceives them. Whereas a ghost hunter is going to be someone who goes out in the field and actively searches for ghosts. Then you have paranormal investigators, which will oftentimes say, we're not ghost hunters. We are investigating the paranormal phenomena here. We're not trying to catch a ghost. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of weird little variations in terminology there. But for myself, I generally call myself quirky or weird or <laughs> a paranormal historian. Um, it's kind of what it comes down to. Well, paranormal historians, we'll, we'll, we'll go with then. So you did, a, you did an awesome job kind of explaining that and breaking it down. So if you would, let's break down one more. What's okay. the, what, what maybe is the difference or is it interchangeable to, to say spirit and ghost? So a spirit and a ghost, those are very personal definitions for people. Um, historically, you see spirit generally used with things that aren't 
necessarily human. Uh, fairies, demons, jinn, things like that will oftentimes be called spirits, whereas a ghost is generally something that was at one time alive and in a people suit, if you will. You also find like spirits of animals, things like that. But in today's day and age, I've seen that sort of melded and mixed in a bunch of different ways. So people use it interchangeably. Some people don't. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that you saw your, your first ghost or spirit. I believe it would be a ghost based on your, the definition that you just said. It would. Yeah. Um, you know, when you were young and then you, you kind of learned as you went exactly what it was. Um, so I guess where, where has that taken you in, in the years since? I assume that you're, you're a few years past uh, elementary school. Just a couple years past elementary school <laughs> at this point. Uh, so basically once I figured out what was happening, it took me some time to sort of come to grips with what it was and sort of how odd it was. I'm from Kentucky. It's a very biblically based area. It's very strong Christian roots everywhere. I remember in school, people telling me that it's sold my soul to the devil. I mean, that was common. Kids are cruel. But one of the things that I wanted to do for myself was to give myself context. I wanted to prove to myself that I was not the first person to have experienced this, that there was a long tradition of people who had experienced before me and that they were able to deal with it and actually make it functional in their lives. And that is actually why I studied what I did in college. I wanted to find groups where people had experiences like mine and they had used them and learned about them and given themselves the okay really to experience what they're naturally experiencing. So that is, that is why I took the career choice that I did in that. And from that, I've been able to work in museums and I currently actually work as a historian for a distillery. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. So I guess, you know, when, when a lot of people that, that don't know too much about this here about, you know, ghosts and spirits and things, I think they naturally, that's maybe they're a little interested, but it's also a little bit scary. Um, yeah. So, you know, I do want to ask you about, you know, scary encounters. I know that's something that, that we want to we want to talk about. But before that, uh, those who maybe are a little uneasy, I think I know the answer to this. But I mean, are all spirits and ghosts are not all necessarily bad, correct? Absolutely not. No, the grand majority of specifically ghosts, human spirits are exceedingly kind. They're exceedingly sweet. Most of the time when a human spirit is here. It is for either the reason that they loved the house, the location, the object, whatever it is they're coming back to see, or they are coming back to see their people, their family. So a lot of people will have paranormal experiences around the time that a child is born, things like that. And they're not quite sure why, but nine times out of 10, that experience they're having is based on a relative who has passed, who's come back to see the grandchild or the great grandchild that had just been born. So most ghosts, nine times out of 10, are, they're good people. They were good people, they still are. With that being said, you always have that one person who's a jerk in life is still going to be a jerk in death, so. So, so what, I guess, what do you define as a, a paranormal experience? You've used that a few times. Is that, is, that, that don't, is that necessarily just seeing a ghost or is there a lot more to it than just that? There's absolutely a lot more to it. So it can be seeing a ghost. It can be feelings of being watched oftentimes is reported, uh, smelling a perfume or a cologne or like smoke that you associate with someone. It can be objects moving. It can be hearing someone call your name or a tapping or things like that. Um, 
it can even be a dream sometimes ghosts will actually deliver messages dead loved ones specifically in dreams to someone who is alive that i would consider a paranormal experience but to me it is anything outside that normal experience that can be explained by something that has happened from the other side if you will pennies from heaven are a great explanation of that as well uh finding pennies for whatever reason very easy for spirits to manipulate and they'll leave them in weird places, like in between the sheets on a made bed or in your bathtub, places that you're sure to see them, but places you are sure you did not leave them. Mm-hmm. It's oftentimes a message from a spirit that they are with you. Just little things like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we talked about, you know, nine out of 10 uh, of these experiences are normally positive ones, but, you know, mm-hmm. you, there are that, there's that 10% that, that isn't. Um, so, uh, do do tell us a little bit about some of those more scary experiences you've had. So if you take ghosts and you say 10% of ghosts are bad, if you look at the entire realm of things that aren't in bodies, if you will, and things that might not have been human, it's where you get into the really weird stuff. And if you want to say that 10% of human ghosts are not necessarily the nicest, probably 5% of the inhuman ones are really what you don't want to meet. And for some reason or the other, I have had more than my fair share of encounters with things that aren't quite people. And the first one that really sort of resonated with me actually happened when I was an undergrad. Now, this happened at our dorm, oldest dorm on campus, and it was a, they called it a suitcase campus, everyone left on the weekends. You know, nobody stayed on campus. You're basically alone in a giant building built in the early 1800s. So, you know, it's got a nice creepy atmosphere to it. When you add to that, that my roommate at the time was also a psychic, she also saw dead people. It made for a really, really weird and sort of supercharged time. But her mother had actually gone on a mission trip and she had ministered to a group that did not want to be ministered to. And then had accepted a gift from them. So she brought the gift. It was a string of beads, a string of wooden beads on a cloth uh, string. And she brought them back with her to her house. And as soon as they got to her house, she started having odd things happen there. Uh, Hearing giggling, hearing little feet running, and just sort of feeling super creeped out. So she told her daughter. So that was my roommate. And being the good daughter that she was, she brought the beads to our campus. And my roommate decided she didn't need to tell me about this. And she actually stuck the beads for safekeeping under my bed without telling me. So at that point, um, I started having friends, two or three or four of them come up to me. And they wanted to tell me about a weird dream they'd had about this cute little girl. And they were either laying in bed or in a bathtub. And this little girl was standing at the foot of it, smiling at them. And they were terrified. The first time I heard this, I was like, you know, this, this isn't what I deal with, so I'm sorry you had a bad dream. And the second and third time, I pretty much knew something was up, but I didn't know what it was. So I was back at the dorm, and it was a Saturday morning, and because I have a great social life, I was doing laundry. So <laughs> the laundry in our building is actually down in the basement. And it was a flight and a half of stairs without a landing in between them. So it was a very long staircase. And I was walking down into the basement with my laundry basket. And I closed the door behind me and the energy of the place changed. 
if anybody's ever felt like when all the hair stands up on your arms or your neck, it's that feeling. The room almost became electric. I knew I wasn't alone. And I had just a split second to sort of register that before I felt little hands on the back of my legs. And it pushed me forward and I rolled down about a third of the way of the stairs, dropped the basket. I grabbed the uh, banister because I didn't want to die. And I sort of caught myself there and, you know, did the mental check of am I all still in one piece? And I, I was and I turned and I looked back up to the top of the stairs and I saw what has to be one of the cutest children I've ever seen in my life. She was adorable, little dark hair, dark eyes, a cute little like short sleeve rose colored nightgown on, just adorable little child, probably seven, eight, that sort of range, age range, adorable. And she's smiling at me. And when I looked at her smile, I realized why my friends that had been having this dream were terrified. Her teeth weren't human. They were pointed like a shark's teeth. And she was just sitting there smiling at me. She was so excited about what she'd just done. And in that moment, I had just that register of sort of what I'm seeing, but not really understanding what I'm seeing. And that sort of fight or flight reflex caught in. And that is when I learned that my fight or flight reflex is broken. Because I decided in that moment without thinking that the best plan of action for me was to run back up the stairs and I was going to grab her. I have no idea what I was going to do when I caught her, but I was going to catch her. So I run back up the stairs. Luckily for me, by the time I get there, she has just poofed and is gone. And about that time, my brain caught up with me and was like, what are you doing? And then I ran sort of in a panic back to my room. And I told my roommate what had just happened. And she's like, oh, I brought these beads back from my mom, told me the whole story. And so then we had to get rid of them. So that spirit in particular was essentially a protector spirit of the group that her mother had been ministering to. She was malicious towards me and towards my friend and my friend's family, but she was not malevolent. She was not evil. She was doing her job. Her job was to protect her people and their beliefs. And that's exactly what she was doing. So we had to take the object that was, she was attached essentially, the string of beads, and we actually took them and threw them into the Kentucky River. So essentially, she would have no energy there to take. Because in general, when a spirit manifests, it needs human energy. So excitement, happiness, fear, things like that from a person in order to gain the energy it needs to manifest itself. So by putting her in water where she cannot affect people, that will eventually weaken and she can go back to where she came from. So it got rid of the ghost on our end and eventually we'll send her back to where she came from if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's terrifying. And I don't really, I, I, I don't know exactly how you would have, you would have ran towards the problem, but hey. <laughs> I'm apparently out of my mind. Like when I realized I had ran up those stairs, I, I like kicked myself. I still kick myself to this day. I don't know what I was thinking, but you know. Yeah, yeah well, you're, you live to tell the tale. So I guess that's the good <laughs> part, right? Exactly, right? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, let's, let's go conversely just because that is so scary. What, what are some, maybe some, I don't know if humorous is the right, right word, but maybe some, some more lighthearted experiences you've had. Lighthearted experiences with them. So I like to go antiquing. It's fun. Go to like the old thrift shops and things like that. And you find, uh, 
you know, just cute little weird stuff. In Kentucky, there's lots of places that are very dusty, barns and things like that that you can go into and you can find treasures, if you will, just cute little things. Mm -hmm. And I was at one of these locations and there were some marbles and there was a little boy attached to the marbles. And I walked past him the first time. I wasn't going to take him home. And the little boy basically came up to me and sort of took my hand and was like, no, I'm going with you. So I ended up uh, buying the marbles and taking him home with me. And he is just this sweet little kid. I think his name is Billy. I'm not quite sure. He always has his hands in his mouth when he's trying to talk. Very little guy. Doesn't realize he's dead. He just basically wants to play with his marbles. They were his favorite toy. And just this sweet little warm creature that just, he just wants to sit there and play. He wants a safe place to sit and play. So he's very sweet. And if you're around, he will oftentimes come crawl in your lap just to, just to sit. So you have some of these very, very sweet, very mundane things that happen also. And he's one of my favorites that I actually keep. So he hangs out. So you're saying that Billy is still a, a part of your life. Absolutely. I have a couple of haunted objects and a couple of, dead things that still live in my house with me. Yes. So I guess you, 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 you mentioned that when you were at, you know, the antique mall or or where it was, um, you know, that I guess the, I don't, it's hard to to phrase. I guess the question is you, I assume you always know, Hey, this is not a a living boy. This is a, you know, a a spirit. Is is that the case or, or do you not always know? So when I was younger, I could not tell the difference between the living and the dead. I just simply couldn't. Over time, though, I have learned to sort of turn it down, if you will, uh, so that I actually can function as a normal human. So yes, I can tell the difference now between what is here and what is there. They feel very different. Sometimes they don't look very different, but they feel very different. So it's just a matter of practice over time, basically learning what is here and what is there. Gotcha. So you, you mentioned that you're in, in Kentucky. Um, I'm actually in Indiana, so not too far from you. And I was on your, your website and noticed, you know, a few places that I've been myself, we've done like the, the bourbon trail and things and, and toured some of those old places in, in Bardstown. Um, So is that a, I guess is, I I don't really know too much about most of this we we you know we chew the the jail and things like that Mm -hmm. is that a a, an area that's known to to have a lot of i guess things happening bardstown is so bardstown specifically the jailers in the old talbot tavern are both thought to be exceedingly haunted Mm -hmm. uh the old jailers in was actually the working jail up until i believe earlier this century well last century at this point but it was an operation for a very very long time and it actually sat next to the tavern which was a old stagecoach inn which where people would come and wait with the stagecoaches and stay overnight in between runs and things like that and it's actually been host people like abraham lincoln and uh jesse james his uh cousin was the sheriff in town so he could come and be safe in town So you had all these people coming through there and all of this sort of energy and it was all focused around specifically those two buildings there and the cemetery back there behind it. And there's been a lot of reported paranormal activity in that sort of block of town. So you have uh, at the jailers in the woman walking up and down through there. There were people actually hung for crimes in the backyard of the jailers in. So there's been some things associated with that back there. 
they've seen a, I believe, a floating light in the uh, cemetery directly behind it, as well as a ghost cat. And then in the jailers, or in the Talbot Tavern itself, they have a lot of really odd things that have happened there. And I've stayed at the Talbot Tavern before, and the place has got some really weird energy to it. Now, the night that we stayed there, I didn't specifically see anything, but there were sounds that shouldn't have been there, like things running in the hallways at night when you open the door and there's nothing there and there's nowhere for them to have gone. Things like that happened. Uh, but people have reported the windows opening in there on their own and balls of light. There's lots of that sort of fifile old tradition of ghost lights just sort of wandering through that building. And I've been in there a couple of times on uh, ghost hunts where they actually had activity where the lights themselves will turn on and off with large groups of people in there when you have full visuals of where the light switches are and things like that. So it's a very charged place, but people forget that Federal Hill, which is my old Kentucky home, is actually about a mile up the road from there, which is also incredibly haunted. There were several sort of tragic deaths there, people falling out of windows in the summer and things like that. And a tombstone has been knocked over several times after it was the wrong type of tombstone requested by the person when he died. So just lots of weird, weird activity in that area. Yeah, yeah. So what is, I guess, what is your, your place in all this? There's, there's people who are, I guess, helping others connect with their loved ones. There's people that are ghost hunting and I, and then there's people, I don't know whether this is more like a church thing, but are trying to get rid of bad spirits. So what, are, are, do, you, do you go and, and seek these things out just for, I guess, personal benefit? Or, or what's your role in, in the general public when it comes to this type of thing? I don't really have a public facing role, if you okay. will. I will do research for teams. I've helped out with TV shows, things like that, mm-hmm. sort of on the research end or on the psychic end, depending on what they need. But I don't do like readings. I don't connect people to their loved ones or things like that. Hmm. I don't do it commercially at all. I will occasionally do it in very extreme circumstances for someone. But there are so many good psychics out there who are very good at that. Hmm. And I find it extremely emotionally draining to do it. It's a lot of, it's not how I'm meant to work in a psychic manner. It's just not, it's not conducive for me to do it long periods of time. So what I end up doing a lot of times is a lot more on the research end. And I have, as I said earlier, somehow managed to get myself called in when people think that they have inhuman spirits. So ghost hunters, things like that, paranormal investigators, when they think they've come across an inhuman spirit, a lot of times I'll get called to come out and see, is it a person or is it a thing? And what's the easiest way to deal with it? I'm very much a believer in these sort of economy of motion idea. Let's find the quickest and easiest solution to make everybody happy. And that might not be removing the ghost every time. It might be giving an offering to a ghost to apologize for building something on their ancestral land or something like that. That happens quite a lot in this area, actually. But I do a lot of sort of that. And then I also will do on referral sort of help for people who are coming into their talents um, that happened, started in college, I started sort of collecting people who were starting to have an awakening, what they call it, when your psychic abilities start manifesting again. So I've been doing that with uh, people that are going through that that are older, but also people who have psychic children, specifically speaking to the parents about what worked for me when I was growing up 
and how they can sort of reassure their child about what's happening if they've realized what's happening and how to sort of work them through what's going on and make them feel empowered. So I work a lot with psychics and with inhuman dead things, basically. So uh, another, another topic that, that you mentioned that I had never even really thought about, <laughs> but then once you said it, I thought, why is that the case? So you you know, a lot of people talk about <laughs> when they see ghosts that it's somebody from, you know, a civil war soldier, a Victorian era. It's always, you know, old timey. So does, you know, does, does the eighties hairband rockers, do they just not come back or why is everyone seeing these, you know, these uh, 80 or these uh, civil war characters right so the 80s hairband rockers do occasionally come back but not generally (laughs) with the same frequency is what it comes down to uh so in the victorian era there was a major focus on death specifically queen victoria famously spent most of her later life in mourning for her husband and it gave rise sort of this idea and this fixation sort of internationally and anything that was affected by the british empire with death and dying and what comes after. So a lot of people really took to heart this idea that when you die, you become a ghost. That was sort of the cultural mindset of the time. Mm. So these are people that were dying and then expecting to become spirits. So they become ghosts at a much higher frequency because that's what they think is the natural next step. Now the civil war sort of follows in the same tradition, but not the exact same one. So that was the largest loss of life, of American life, basically, um, ever seen. So that sort of one-on-one conflict really had a lot of emotional intensity. And the places where these things happened were literally covered in blood. It is that same sort of idea that led to the Victorian ideas was the age of spiritualism that rose the sort of to prominence at the Civil War. People became obsessed with the idea of trying to reach and trying to speak to their dead relatives. So you have all of these live people who are trying to reach out to the dead, which made the, it sort of pulled things back together. So it's live people dying and thinking that they're meant to become ghosts and it's people trying to reach out to speak to these ghosts sort of led to this weird mixture of just craziness that led to a proliferation of dead things that fit into those two specific categories. And we still see a lot of them today. Like they don't realize, and sure some of it has to do with trauma, but I think a lot of it actually has to do with the mindset of the people as they were dying or the society that they were existing in at the time. So you're saying that if people, when they were living and and dying, if they had the mindset that they were going to become a ghost, that makes them more likely to actually become one? I do believe that that is the case, yes. The ones that seem to, the ones especially that seem to know that they are ghosts Mm -hmm. seem to have thought that they were going to be a ghost before they died. The ones that I've met that are truly cognizant of what has happened to them seem to have believed that that was what was going to be the case before they died. And it's a small sample set, I understand, but it's a very weird coincidence to see multiple times. You know what I mean? No, for sure. Sure. So you, you mentioned too about, um, you know, working on TV shows in the past and, and you mentioned one, the, on, I believe it was on the CW network, which what, mysteries decoded. What exactly was yeah. that? And what did you, what did you do with, uh, with the program? So mysteries decoded is a show on CW and I was the first episode of that last year. 
So uh, I was a co-host on that episode and we were actually looking into the Lizzie Borden murders. So we had access to the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast, the uh, cemetery where they were all buried and where the autopsies and all took place, the actual uh, tombs and things like that. And then to Maplecroft, which is the house that Lizzie and her sister lived in after the murders took place. And so we went to Fall River, myself and Jennifer, and she's the main host of the show. And we were just digging around to try and see if we could find any evidence that had been missed or had been overlooked or had been misinterpreted before. So we went to the courtroom and things like that and just looked at the transcripts of what had happened to Lizzie and what was going on then. And Jennifer is a private detective. So we just sort of put our heads together and tried to dig into that mystery of what actually took place that day at the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast and who we thought was the culprit of that. And in doing so, Jennifer brought in, you know, a forensic scientist and things like that. And I brought in a ghost hunting team and uh, they actually brought a bunch of equipment with them. And specifically they brought in like an SLS camera, which is essentially a connect camera which shows you the outline of a person. And uh, like if there's a person on screen, it'll show you what the person is doing in stick figure form, but you can still see the outline of the physical person that is there. Mm. And we were in Abby uh, Borden's room, which is where she was murdered at. And that was actually the room that Lizzie's uncle had been sleeping in the night before the murders. And she was making the bed when she was attacked and killed. And in there, we had over an hour of time where we were sitting there and we had direct communication with a spirit that they could all see on the SLS camera. And when you'd ask the spirit to do something, it would respond and it would do that. So you had the stick figure of the person that was there with the outline around them. And then you had the second stick figure that had no mass that anyone could visibly see that was responding back and forth. And that went on for over an hour inside the bed and breakfast. And then we ran a seance at, well, seance, a channeling session, if you will which is where I literally sort of give voice to the spirits. I, they talk to me and I repeat what they're saying, basically. I, I don't share well enough to be a true medium, but I can sort of play the intermediary if I have to. Mm. And uh, so we did a channeling session at the bed and breakfast where we talked to Abigail Borden, who was the one who was murdered. And she was talking about her emotions and her feelings. And she was very still upset about... Uh, the two girls, Lizzie and her sister, who did never accept her. She was their stepmother and how upset she was about that. She was, she was very emotional. And then we went to Maplecroft, which was Lizzie's house later. And we did a second channeling session where I talked to Lizzie for a little while. And that was uh, rather enlightening as well. Just sort of getting her side of the story, how she felt about how her life was viewed now. So it was a very very weird, very intense week, week and a half that we spent in Fall River. Yeah. Hey, that's not, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't catch that episode. It sounds like something, this sounds like quite the, quite the experience for you and quite the experience for even those who watch. Absolutely. And if they want to see it, it is still up for free on cwc.com. So you can go watch that at any point. Well, that I, I think I, I'll be one of those for sure. <laughs> So, you know, we, we talked about TV and that's kind of a good segue to, I guess, the entertainment industry. How, how uh, real are these things when we come to, you know, movies and the paranormal? And then, you know, you, you, you've already mentioned Ghost Hunters. What about all these reality shows that are 
uh, ghost hunters are first of all does the you know the paranormal movies do they accurately portray things and and are these ghost hunter shows do you think they're kind of made for tv reality or do you think it's it's real so as far as the movies go i think if half the things that they showed there were how it really happened the world would be an absolutely terrifying place that no one would survive. I just, I can't really see how that would work. I think they take things that are based on truth, like experiences like I had where I was pushed down the stairs. Clearly she would have pushed me down the stairs and probably ripped my throat out at the bottom. That's, you know what I mean? The movies always seem to amp things up and make them more bigger and more dramatic and just a little bit crazier. Uh, there are some that are very good at keeping it sort of psychological and how it sort of really looks. But I think everything in those gets really sort of bumped up to a level that is truly entertaining. You know, that's why you go to a, a horror movie like that. You go to get scared and you need something that is truly terrifying to do that. So I think most of the movies have a fair amount of drama in them, even if they are based on real events. You know, you've got to make it just a little bit extra of creepiness in there. And I don't blame them for it. It's entertainment, you know. Uh, when it comes to the TV shows... I have been dealing back and forth with TV shows, helping on back end things like that for about the last decade now. Mm. And I have been offered a lot of shows that I have turned down because if I'm asked to fake something or if I'm asked to ignore something or exaggerate, that, that's not what I'm going to do. Uh, that's why I was so willing to work with the CW team because it was a very straightforward, we want your opinion on what had happened. And I really respect shows that are like that. Now, given everything is TV, TV is for entertainment, so they're going to sort of make the storyline look like it's more exciting than it is. They're going to take, you know, we were there for about a week filming, and it was condensed down into like 45 minutes of TV. So, you know, they had a lot more to work with to be able to condense it down to give it that sort of fun, exciting feeling to it. That being said, some TV shows are a lot more fact-based and experientially based and based in reality. There are a lot of good shows out there like that. There are others that everywhere they go, they're going to find a demon because demons sell. Uh, and you're going to react more and, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do to make an entertaining show. And those shows are entertaining, but I do believe that there are those out there that are a smidgen less documentary and a bit more entertainment based, if that makes sense. Yeah, for, for sure. And that's kind of what I, I suspected. Obviously, you know, you've got to, on TV, you've got to entertain people and that's, that's, that's the number one thing. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess the next question, given that this isn't necessarily, you know, a, a paranormal podcast that, that you, you may do more frequently um, I guess it's kind of a, it's probably an easier question for you, given that you don't really do this commercially. You're not really trying to sell anything, but what do you say to people who do listen to this and say, this is all just kind of goofy and it's not real? They're totally entitled to their own opinion. Um, <laughs> it's not my job to try and convince anyone of anything. If right. they do happen to come across a paranormal encounter, when it happens to them, they'll know it. And if it ever happens to them, great. If it does, you know, it does, but it's a lot of people get really caught up in that idea of needing to prove themselves or needing to show everyone that they are right and that, that is, this is real. I grew up in the Bible Belt. I know that that is not possible, but I also know that what I've experienced and what some of my friends have experienced is very, very real. So 
I hope that they enjoy their life and they can get a laugh out of some of my stories if they don't believe them. That's entirely fine, but to each their own. Right. No, I, that's, that's, that's kind of my thought too. I've, I've interviewed some other people that's have, you know, one, one person was, you know, had, had spoken about going to dying and going to heaven and going to hell. And, you know, I asked her that same question and I mean, that's kind of the same thing she said, you know, obviously it's, believe it or don't believe it i guess you'll find out sooner or later if i'm telling the truth or not so i i yeah. I, I appreciate that that answer so do you, your family you obviously said that your your parents didn't necessarily tell you in, until later on so i assume that they are are supported but you 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 do grow up in the bible belt those around you are, have they generally supported you know this this um i guess your your abilities my family absolutely has. Um, they <laughs> weren't quite sure what to do with it when I was smaller, but as I've gotten older, they've been very supportive and very sort of, and it's not even so much that they focus on it. It's just that it, it is. In this family, it is the reality that we have. So they work with it as it is. And they just, we go on about a life. It's not really a big deal. It's just something that occasionally happens. Yeah. Do you, do you think that this is, I mean, what, I guess what causes some people to, to be this way and, and some not, do you think it's, it's hereditary? Did you get it from, from your parents? I do think that's a lot of it is hereditary. Yes. So my grandfather has also had weird experiences. So it does seem to travel down through family lines and the farther back you trace things, you'll get family legends of, Oh, this person saw things and this person knew things and things like that throughout the history of I've, gone back and talked to people and looked at things so it does seem to be a hereditary trait and I found that a lot in the uh, kids that I've uh, dealt with that have these sort of quirks you know you talk to mom oh no this has never happened to me but my, my grandmother she saw this this and this when she was a child and I was like well there you go you know uh, there does seem to be a hereditary component to a lot of this at least in what I have seen well, I, I really appreciated, you know, your time. I, I really, uh, I enjoyed our, our conversation. Um, you know, my, my big goal is, is just to have conversations with interesting people with a story to tell. And that's definitely, definitely the case here. Um, you know, I, I never really give any kind of, you know, thoughts and opinion. And I really wouldn't, won't do that now. But I do think that if nothing else, even if people do listen to this and think it's, crazy that it's a great a great story um if they listen and, and think that uh you know it's it's um real that that's that's great too so, so whatever whatever people get from this i i enjoyed it so i really appreciate your time and thank you so much for having me it was a really good conversation absolutely so normally you know people come on because they are you know they have a a book they're selling or a website they want people to go to i i don't know that that's the case for you, but if you do have anything that you want to, to, to plug or, or talk about, I know you mentioned, you did mention a, a conference. You're, you're more than welcome to, to mention. I don't know that it'll, unfortunately this podcast will go out before then, um, but anything else, please do, please do mention. So at this point in the year, I only have one conference left and it's uh, going to be in late November. That's the Scarefest Con, but that is my last event for this very lovely Corona year here where everything got canceled. <laughs> so that is all I have going on right now. Um, no books to pitch, no TV shows to get you to watch, anything like that. Just uh, 
paranormal stuff. I'm doing some research now that might get turned into a book, but we shall see. But if anyone does have any paranormal experiences, things like that, they'd like to talk about, I am more than willing to listen to people. If, if they want to reach out, the best place to get a hold of me is at my Instagram, which is Amarna Marie, A-M-A-R-N-A-M-A-R-I-E on Instagram. And I'd be happy to talk to them about their paranormal experiences. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you for your time and, uh, and have a great conference and, and uh, thanks for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Stephanie Bingham. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned uh, just as much as I did. Um, just like I said in, in our conversation, you know, whether you, you believe her or whether you don't, uh, I think that it's a, a, a fascinating, fascinating story for sure. Um, learned a lot about the history of paranormal as well. Um, you know, whether you think it's, it's something that's it's there or that it's not, uh, you know, it definitely has been a, a part of our culture. Um, so to hear some of the history of it was was really fascinating. I think, um, you know, I, I I like I just like I said I don't really ever put too much opinion in it, and I'm, I'm not going to now. Um, but I can tell you, Stephanie was an absolute delight to speak with, and uh, I'm really glad that I got to speak with her and, and learn a little bit more about her and uh, you know what uh, what she does here. Um, I guess her space her space in the world. She's like I like I mentioned. She's very close to me. Um, just a, a state below um, so so really really enjoyed speaking with her I'm really glad that you uh, decided to uh, tune in I hope it didn't scare you too much or if you like to be scared I hope it scared you a lot uh, <laughs> but uh, no I, I really try to, to keep it uh, you know relatively uh, relatively calm I didn't want to get too scary and I, I don't think we did um, but uh, thanks for being here hope to see you next time and take it away Chris this has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.